Good afternoon. Not used to doing these anytime, but after seven. Good afternoon from Los Angeles, ladies, gentlemen. I am Holiday Kirk. You're listening to the new Metal Agenda with me today. Some very special people. We got a full house. We got a full house. We got John from Chicago. How's it going? Cran from Indiana. Hey, everybody. Terry from Los Angeles. Technically from London, but I'll take Los Angeles. <laughs> Whatever. Z from Los Angeles. <laughs> What's up? Wolf from Parts Unknown. Oh, woo. There are celebrity guests, and then there are celebrity guests. And whoa, I'm not ready for this one. We've got in the building the legendary J.S. Clayton of Pitch Shifter. Welcome. Woo. So I guess we could just start with a question that is never straightforward. Is Pitch Shifter a new metal band? I think we probably predate new metal, right? 90, we had to... 91, right? Was been I like... mean, the, band's, the band technically started in 89. But we were mulling around ideas in 88, 87, 88. And then we kind of, the band's odd, right? When we first started off, we didn't have a drum machine. We didn't have a drummer, it was just a drum machine, no live drums. And so they used to put us with the metal bands. Like we played with Napalm Death and Obituary and Carcass and all these bands. And their fans were just like, you should just die now and stop playing because they didn't understand anything that we were trying to do. <laughs> So we got, we got lumped in with the death metal thing. And then, then when the sound evolved, there weren't really any bands using drum and bass and trip hop beats and samples with punk and metal. So we just got lumped in with new metal because it was easier. Well, we I had do, heavy guitars, right? But I do think I've always posited that for the pitchshifter.com era, when you get to around 98, I imagine someone at Geffen went to a board meeting and were like, they combine new metal and electronica. And then they're like, oh, we got to sign them. Like that's, oh, done deal. Like that was kind of like, you were like the band of the moment to, to well, write that. Well, the, the term rocktronica didn't even exist then, right? All these things are, are posthumous, right? At the time we were just awkward. It's that awkward band that doesn't fit in anywhere. I think the guy, Brian, so it was a guy called Brian Long who stuck his scrawny A&R neck all the way out for us. A Geffen who probably was terminated because of that later. But remember, that was the Nirvana era, right? Nirvana was the big band on Geffen. And we were like this, again, awkward, weird band that didn't fit in anywhere. But that was exactly what this era was all about, was awkward, weird bands getting their go at the, at the right. brass ring. Yeah. And Pitch Shifter is interesting to me because Pitch Shifter did get like an American push. Well, the irony is, and I hate I hate the fact that we had to do this, but there was no support in the UK. You had, you had Kerrang! magazine and a few few magazines that would support the band, but the band had to go to America because all, all the English labels were like, don't get it, just terrible. I really? Mean, like, oh, yeah, Madonna's label, Maverick and all of those. They literally just sent the demo back and went, this is the worst pile of steaming dog turd we ever This received. is actually, this is honestly shocking to me because I would have oh, yeah. figured in an era of like, prodigy going number one on but remember prodigy they were a dance band then literally there was not any band do it combining drum and bass with soup with heavy guitars it was like and you know when the prodigy first came in morat who was the guy who championed us and championed the prodigy he was getting death threats for putting them in kerrang magazine so it was like an era when people weren't you know it was completely taboo to mix heavy metal was like terry Terry's like, I'm going to go. I want to back what you're saying, Clayton, because like the thing is, I was I, I got into metal in 96 when I was 13 and I was obsessed with it. Like I listened to every radio show I could. I bought all the mags. And I remember my first exposure to Pitch Shifter was 
I think would probably classify as like a big breakout moment for you was when you opened Ozfest in '98. So Ozfest had been happening in the states, and we were dying for it to get to the UK. And like the the vibe in there before any band had played, like you could feel it out there. And I'll never forget you opened with Microwave, and the second that that kicked in was very like as someone that had never heard your music before that intro and then the coming in you felt so different to everything else but it was also like one of those formative moments for me as a teen where I was like your new favorite band might be some shit that you've never heard and that they're not picking up on it's things like that that led to me doing what I've done for the last 20 years it was a really formative moment and the prodigy like you're right like they they did they did get death threats I I worked for Metal Hammer and they had the same deal Morat was from Kerrang but Metal Hammer they had the same thing when they were being included with us even though they brought giz button and all the rest of it like it was um like pitch, pitch shifter were really really out on their own the reason why i was waving my hand though is because i didn't want to move on from it too much when you were when you were playing uh with those kind of obituary and those kind of bands where would you have fit would it have been more with like a ministry or a skinny puppy at that time or even there would you have been like flashing well, i mean the twitch album by ministry is dancey too right yeah you have, to, you have to remember that people would it was more dancey stuff we've always been the black sheep i mean we've done shows like we've i remember <laughs> i remember a few times, like at the Masquerade Club with Carcass, it's the only time that we finished playing. We finished playing the first song and there was total and utter silence. There wasn't one boo. There wasn't one clap. It was just the audience who just stunned. They just stare at us. And you'd, and you'd like a thousand people in a room. And it's just total silence, like a minute of silence at a football crowd. Like, and I'd just look at, I'd look, you know, my brother's a bass player and I'd look at Mark and he'd just shrug his shoulders and i go, uh, here's another tune you can all sing along to. <laughs> and you you know, in the early days, because the albums weren't out, people hadn't heard of us. It was literally, we had to show people how to dance to the music because they didn't understand it. So I'd, I'd have to like jump into the crowd and say, this is how you move to our music, by the way. Yeah. And this is where it kicks in and it's light and shade because people would it was just like deer in the headlights. They just stare at you. Like, I don't have any understanding as to whether this is music or not. I'm just going to stare at you. Bunch of death metal heads probably wondering, am I allowed to mosh? Yeah, like, exactly. do I got to bust out my dance moves yeah. or can I slam into someone? <laughs> <laughs> and we used to let, you know, we used to let everybody stage dive, which the venues hated. And we'd throw out the propaganda <laughs> flyers, which would say just mental stuff to make people think. So they were getting bombarded with a lot of stuff. And, also we cheated too right so a normal band all the sounds coming from the band but we've got eight channels of sound that's not coming from the band and we would do things uh we just coat every bass line in the chorus with a sub bass and you know we play with these bands that take themselves really seriously i won't mention the names but they say you can't go past 75 percent of the volume on the desk because that's safe for the main band you can't tread on this bit of the stage and we go, yeah, sure. And we'd immediately tread on that bit of the stage. You'd see all the tour managers go crazy <laughs> off campus. But also I'd say it doesn't matter how quiet you make us because if you've got like MT4 sub bass in the, in the front of house rack, your band with the traditional bass isn't ever going to hit anything below 80 hertz. You and feel I've that got, shit in your guts. I've got, I've got stereo sub bass coming out from 80 hertz and below that coats every bass line in the chorus so i guarantee you are going to sound heavier than you even though they're a sport man they're like oh, bring it you know and then we play and they'd be like holy crap it sounds like the building's going to fall to pieces i'm like i know so we would do that kind of stuff but yeah we were always that weirdo 
odd fish. Not now. You've got other bands that do it, and people like, oh, those quaint old Victorians of Pitch Shifter that were, you know, playing drum and bass and stuff. But back then, I remember a promoter coming to me and saying, can I see it? You know, like Frodo with the ring. I'm like, see what, Chief? And he's like, the drum machine. The drum machine. <laughs> and I'm like, sure. So it's an Alasis HR16. It's about the size of a seven-inch record, about that thick. And he's like, well, where's the rest of it? I'm like, well, that's it. He thought it was going to be a machine that played physical drums, like <laughs> like a robot you clamped on and it hit the drums. I mean, <laughs> in, 1980, in 1989, people didn't Like understand. Johnny Five. Exactly. <laughs> in 1989, people didn't understand any of that stuff. It was just like mind-boggling to people. They'd just be like, well, how does it work? You know? So, yeah. I'm still startled, though, that uh, that people didn't get it. I always assumed Pitch Shifter, by the time the late 90s rolled around, you guys were right on time. It was guitars and drum machines, and that's what everyone was looking for around then. By the name, late 90s, it did, but in the early days, from like 89 through till like 97. It's been one of the things I'm interested in was that you guys did end up getting like kind of a rarity for British heavy acts, which was the American push. Like you ended up all the way on MTV Fashionably Loud, which is where you do one of the, which is where you did one of the most confounding. Uh mid-air leaps to kick off what you see is what you get you like jumped in the air kicked your feet up frontwards kicked them in the air and then landed on your feet again and to me that's a gold record right there you know that that should have been an easy, <laughs> easy black if i had seen that but that was how was what was that experience like just playing on the catwalk in spring break pitch shifter spring break yeah it was stupid right so they they make us play and we you have to go and we went and they're always you know what they don't stand a lot of these bands can't play right so they have to do 400 takes the lady was doing i can't remember her name she couldn't pronounce pitch shifter it was a confounding set of consonants and syllables for her so we had like <laughs> nine takes for her to introduce the band and then they said, oh, it's just blocking. Don't worry about it. But because we've been playing so much, we just put on like instantly perfect performance. And then the director goes, uh, yeah, that's it. You're done. So we flew to Jamaica and still and went for a swim for four minutes. And then and then we were done. Nice work if you can get it. Yeah. <laughs> what was the song? Oh, I can't even remember. WYSIWYG, maybe. Can't remember. Nice. It was that. I thought it was more than one. I didn't realize they only brought bands out to do one song, but it, it may have been. I may be remembering it wrong. It was 1857. You know. What I do remember, I think Usher was there too. <laughs> and what I do remember right. is they, they they put us in two opposing hotels and on a balcony. I remember I was eating an apple. And I remember I said to Jim, I bet you I can and I could see Usher on the phone on his balcony, like all the way across, like hundreds of feet. And I said to Jim, I bet you I can hit Usher with this apple. Did you? And he said, I bet you can't. And I chucked it and I made the balcony. I didn't, I didn't manage to hit Usher, but I got it all the way to his balcony. They kind of looked over like binoculars. I was like, yeah, I bet That's why that tour never happened. That's what you exactly. get for ah. dropping your jeans all the time. Exactly. <laughs> Geffen, Geffen was like, yeah, they fucked it. We were going to put him with Usher and now it's over. How, it looks like you played with Limp Biscuit. Uh, yeah, we played with Limp Biscuit on that episode. It looks like you guys shared the same. Stage. Maybe they were there too. I can't remember. The it's return of rock. Can I ask uh, about Genius? Because that felt like the moment back home. Like it felt like seeing Gen- like seeing the the MTVs and the Ian Camfields and the those people of the time. Like really, when Genius was released, it, it felt like there was. That was when the push came because there was a couple of years there, like 
where justifiably people were talking about you as the best live band in Britain. Like the, for those couple of years, I always remember the the late nineties into the early two thousands. It was yourselves, and then one minute silence had that same thing that was like the it was the show you had to see. But was 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 genius at least in the UK. Was that did that feel like a like a like the ticker tape that started you to? I'm dying to ask you about Reading on the main stage later on and all the rest of it. But I mean, genius like, is like our um, it's like our blur when i feel every metal song you know it's like it doesn't really have a lot of lyrics <laughs> a lot of movement but everybody latched onto it the video maybe we hadn't done many pop videos and there's a video for that which was new for us and i think that that was a period when people were actually watching music videos and 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 i think that's when it got that traction plus it's a banging tune in it it's just fast it keeps going yes this is true it and that's it is smoke. the and it is like the kind of thing that you would hear if you worked at 989 Studios and you're like, well, we need some music for our Twisted Metal game because I think exactly. that, that was another one. <laughs> well, it was it was Test Drive 5, right? People still say, I, I, the first time I ever heard your band, I'm from America, I'm not from England, I don't know this story, and the best, the first time I heard your band was playing Test Drive 5 on PlayStation 1, maybe? Yeah, and it's and it's like three or four of your songs. It like it's playing familiar. like the whole Twisted time. Metal 3 has microwaved and WYSIWYG on it. That's where I first heard your band. Same here. I'm really glad that you guys explained to me that WYSIWYG is how you say it, because I was ready to just sit here and go, W-Y-S-I-W. Well, and that was part of our confounding the masses, right? So we were the first band to name the album after the website or vice versa, whichever way you look at it. We were looking at that. We were looking at that before you hopped on. If we pony up sixty five hundred bucks, we can get it back. You know, it, we kept the name for years and years and years, and then it was kind of like burning your own art. It's important. I just said I don't want to have PitchShifter.com anymore. I'm sick of it. Let's just not do. It. I don't want to have the pressure of doing it. Let's like set it on fire, and then some spurious site from Eastern Europe's got it, and they're like, "Yeah, it's ten million dollars if you want to buy it." No one's going to buy it. I, we um, just looked it up. It's sixty-five hundred bucks, apparently. That's stupid. You I'm better gonna buy it. It's, it's gonna be ours now. It's a bargain. <laughs> New metal agenda hosted on pitchshifter.com. Yeah. Yes. Yes. If you want it, go for it. Can we? Can we? Is this? Is this where we start a GoFundMe or or something sure. here? Pitchshifter back, baby. You could have a much better. Just spend the money on a party than. Silly <laughs> will you play <laughs> so, did you guys get a better reception because this is kind of reversing my how i thought the pitch shifter story went did you guys actually get a better reception in the u.s than you did in the uk that's a difficult question no i think again it it was confusing to people i think we learned how to be a lot better live band from playing bands warp tour and ozfest and stuff because in england everyone comes out and everybody's shoegazing and all very we're all very self-deprecating Greek tragedy humor and aren't we clever and amusing and nobody gives a crap about that in America they're just like this band is boring because they're not going nuts so I think we learned by doing Vans Warp Tour even though that was in Europe it was with American bands and by doing Ozfest and we actually learned how to be more exciting life so you can attribute that to kind of having to up the ante with the American bands so that was kind of a good experience, but still we, you know, we'd do it in our way. We'd just come on and say, hello, we're, we're pitch shift from England. Fuck off. And you, you just watch the American be like, they're not used to people swearing at them and dropping the C word and all that. They'd just be like, whoa, wait a minute. And then we just play and then be like, okay, 
I get it. But American bands were like, hey, let's all do it together. And we were like, F yeah. We were just coming and like right down everybody's faces and jumping off the drum kit into this, doing those stupid scissor kicks and backflipping into the crowd and all that stuff. We used to do that. They weren't, they weren't really ready for all that. They were just like, Boo. How did you get on with Lyman? Because like, I know that they run a tight ship and you lot are fucking anarchists by nature from the second you open your eyes to the second you close them at night. He's like, you know, he's protected. It's like Ozzy. You don't really meet Ozzy on Ozfest. He's, he's protected. You meet him like once. So they come in like the <laughs> papal cross keys in the Pope wagon and they meet you and then they, you know, whisk him away. But yeah, I mean, you know, Ozfest was chaos that we just get into all kinds of trouble on, on Warp Tour too. Just, you know, we'd get, people would get ejected by staff and we, we'd have the clippers because we were like short hair, so we'd shave the, I can't remember. I just did a book. I've done a couple of Kickstarter books uh, about n- the touring in 1998 and the second book, which was just successfully funded, is going out soon. It's got about, it's got that stuff in it where we're like incredible nicking the electric uh, wagons that the staff use and shaving <laughs> this guy's head because he got booted out doing live sound for Lagwagon, sneaking him back in. Just all the stupid <laughs> stuff you got to do <laughs> on the road. Hijinks. Exactly. So you went from Geffen to do pitchshifter.com and then when it came time for Deviant in 2000, you end up on MCA? Yeah, well, they all buy each other, don't they? Then Universal MCA, Music Cemetery of America. Who said that? Not a good yeah. experience then? We enjoyed the money of the major labels, but all the rest of it's just blah. You know, they want to form you into the mold and unless you hit these specific targets, then they don't push in with the extra promotion. I mean, all that was murdered by the digital era, right? you know even on even on geffen it was a great experience but they couldn't understand the band so they'd book us into a 250 channel studio so it's a mixing desk that's like an aisle of a supermarket and we'd show up with our atari 520 st because that's what we did the dot-com album on two akai s1000 samplers because you needed two to have all the memory in and we plugged into eight channels on the 250 channel mixing desk, you know what? You, we'd see Jay Z with the cigars and 400 guys mixing with the flying faders. I'm like, we don't need any of that. Because <laughs> we're going to do all it. it breaks, so they're, they're just like, like, how does it work? Right. Do you ever run into people that, that tell you that they used your free samples at the end of that album? Yeah. Yeah. I run into people. But, you know, we've been fortunate in that because we were so quirky and like under overground, people say, you know, you're a real inspira- inspiration to me. I only do drum and bass or I, I only do eight bit chip tunes, but it was your music that inspired to do it. And I nicked this. I just, we just posted recently, some guy did a, a kind of dark drum and bass remix of a triad. Some fan <laughs> just sent us a DM and I'm like, hey, we just featured it on the socials because people still do it. When I do my little tweets and I tweet out individual songs, I just tweeted out the free samples one once and had people come around like, can I use these? I'm like, yes. Yep. That is yeah, in the title. Can. Yes, you <laughs> yeah. can. Yeah. They get traded on BitTorrent and stuff. You see them floating around. I'm doing another project at the moment where I might give away the stems just to see nice. what, what crazy people can come up with. Can I can I, can I? I ask a little bit about the, the major label thing just before you move on? Sure. Like... Do you think that, do you think that, like, I, I I always associate, like, your sound is definitely new metal and you can fit there, but I always see Pitch Shifter as a punk band. I think it was more because of your attitude than anything else. How Kirk's shaking his How head. How dare you? Uh, no, 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 <laughs> like, it, 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 it fits not, musically. It's not wrong. It fits musically. It's just, I think being there at the time and, like, the, the difference being, like, um, the Prodigy had, 
punk elements, right? But Claydon would have a go at you for buying McDonald's on the way home or from the stage. Like that's the the difference when it comes to the attitude and and punk rock and and that kind of thing. But I wanted to ask about the major label experience when that is your attitude. Right, because I, I I only came into the business in 2003, and I've been interviewing bands that entire time. And something that I've that I've always admired about yourself and your band is you've got something to say. Here's our principles. Here's who we are. Eat shit, right? And that's 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 the attitude. And I wondered how that is inside the business because the further towards the top I got, the more rotten I saw it was and the more it freaked me out. But being a punk band on a major label that don't give a fuck and have new metal elements and all of these various things, like what was the major label experience like for people that don't hold their tongue? Uh, we were treating it like EMI with the Sex Pistols. Just take all the money and do the exact opposite of what they tell you. I'm going to give you the Hunter S. Thompson quote about the music business to say what you have said. And this is from Hunter S. Thompson. Your music business is a cruel and shallow money trench, a long plastic hallway where thieves and pimps run free and good men die like dogs. There is also a negative side. That's his music. So, you know, that's what it's like. We just treat it like EMI. We, we appreciate the irony of what we were saying of being on a major label. We just go give us the money and then we'll go and do mental stuff, crop circles and chucking flyers out and it's in the book i just did i'm not i'm not pimping the book because it was a it was a limited edition kickstarter and you already freaking missed it so it's gone but in the book one day we get a call from my we're playing in berlin and my buddy goes there's the appd which is the it's basically the german version of screaming lord such which is called the all night pogo party and they said we were viva tv said oh we're going to give you these cameras because we want you to like document what you do so we took viva tv's cameras we got some spray paint and we clambered up these billboards in the middle of berlin and we sprayed baron munchausen mustaches on chancellor cole who was running for his new thing and we filmed the whole thing so we and you get the calls from emi you cannot do that and we're like okay yeah we're sorry and we just do stuff like that all the time so they, you know they eventually drop you because of like can't handle it. It's bad stuff. Can't be bothered with. Can't be bothered <laughs> with a cleanup. They're not going <laughs> to play ball, you know. And we got in trouble in Poland because of the Pope messing up the Pope's face. Everybody got upset with that. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> yeah. Something I thought was compelling. Uh, compelling about. So okay, you get contacted by Cleopatra Records, right? They're like, we need some covers. We're going to do an industrial tribute to Metallica, and you got one band picks an Enter Sandman. We're going to do nothing else matters over here. Seek and destroy. And you guys were like, we want to do Sane Anger. And uh, I always thought that was a really clever pick just because it was already industrially in a bad way and there was like room to build upon it. And I do think your version is much better than theirs. And I'm wondering if you guys were just, I, I feel like you guys could have been honest admirers of the St. Anger project. So it, it's slightly different. In reality, they said, will you do a pitch shift remix? And the band are like, no. <laughs> okay, well, yeah. <laughs> so rap for me, I'm, I'm out. My, no, Mark goes, I don't want to do it. Right, because... For, for in the early days of pitch shift, it was Johnny Carter that was doing all the programming, and then it came to light that I was quite good at that stuff. So it ended up being me as the as we moved from dot com and further on. So Mark's like, I don't want to do it. You do it if you want to do it. So I was like, I'll do it. But I don't want to do it on my own. So Logan Mader from Machine Ends, he said, I'll do it with you. So he's on guitar. So we did it around at his place. And I can't remember if we did pick the song. I think they clear practice said, we'll give it to you. And it's a super polarizing song. Somebody, if you actually look on YouTube at the quotes, it's always like, 
I didn't think it was possible to make this song sound any worse. Well done, <laughs> Richard. <laughs> but people who people like the purists are only like the like speed metal stuff of Metallica hate pitch shifter anyway, and they hate that song. So those two is like freaking kryptonite to them, right? They're that's exactly be like a double negative. They don't come out positive on the other end. Exactly, <laughs> but they're the kind of people. They they're exactly the people that were sending the death threats to Kerrang about the product. Yeah. Like, that's how dare you. So I I just thought, what's the what's the most uh, far away I can do from it? Let's just put a ridiculous drum and bass break in it. <laughs> yeah. it it's, really what James Hef, it's what James Hetfield would have wanted. <laughs> make sure it really wanted. fast and try and make it heavier. So Logan and I just try to make it heavier in the chorus. When it hits, it goes jong, 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 jong in those parts. We like mute the bass and guitars. So it's like really, really heavy and we compressed it quite a lot. So yeah, you know, that's where like I had a great time with Logan. He and I had not hung out for a long time. We just did that in LA in his in his place. I did some mixing at mine and then we came over and did vocals at his. And he's obviously a great guitarist. So but yeah, it's a super polar. Every every remix or version that we do that's not of our own stuff, it's just a torrid parade of hatred in the comments on YouTube. People are just like, Bit Shifter must die. How dare you? You know. The original well, it's worth it. Yeah. Have you always got off on that? Because it feels, it feels, it feels like it. There's as much, there's as much enjoyment of being loved as there is of people like the like oh, the yeah. tumbleweed going across the stage that you were mentioning earlier and all the rest of it. I just think uh, being English and coming, you know, everybody always says this, but we came from dirt, right? We were just a bunch of lads. None of us went to uh, fancy colleges. None of us had been to college at that point. None of us. We were just. In America, you call it the projects, but we came from a shitty house in the States in England. And Johnny met Mark on a bus and they said, oh, I play music too. Oh, really? You know, and 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 the, the I'm going to get in trouble for this, but the first instruments that Pitch Shifter got, I went to Paris on a day trip for school and I falsified and that my bag got stolen with loads of expensive stuff on with fake receipts. And I got three grand in an insurance scam. Get it, Clayton. Yes, yes. mate. And I came back be, to the It'll be fun if this is what takes you under. Like yeah. they're going to be listening to this podcast out there. And, like, and, and, I, got him. And, and I came back and I said, who wants what? Yeah. Johnny goes, well, I want to play guitar. And Mark goes, well, I want to play bass because it's got less strings. It looks easier. And that was it. You know, and it, you, I wanted to cycle back to the punk thing because we were listening to rudimentary P9 crass and subhumans. Mark, Mark just went to see the subhumans the other day in england i'm so jealous because they don't come Ooh. to america that much right i'm on west coast i was like how dare you see the subhumans without me <laughs> so but we were listening to rudimentary p9 and crass and and subhumans and all and first uh napalm lp scum which i also consider to be punk in its lyrics right and if not as music and so that and and dead kennedy's which we let you know we later got to do stuff with jello which is pretty amazing but that's what pitch shifter is lyrically uh, it's very, very punk lyrically musically it's all different stuff but lyrically it's quite punk to me it's a punk band on a major label that's like lending out songs for uses in different video games and the title is you know www.pitchshifter.com so it's almost like a late 90s sort of capitalist critique on that and then you know like because a decade later didn't sex pistols put out their own line of credit cards with, with bank of america know. I, if they did, I probably wouldn't have qualified, so I didn't get one. <laughs> they absolutely, they absolutely, they absolutely did do that. So it's. Well, I think like, that's that. I don't think that's like oh, you sellouts. I think you got to be in the game to have a voice, 
right? You can either do that from a sandwich board on the edge of the street to five people, or you can be in the thick of it and go, run a major label. By the way, we just did all these ridiculous things. Right, because I think by the late 90s, it was clear that Punk was not actually going to like flip the tables over and cast the money changers out. It was like, it was like, you got to play the game, you know? Well, and it's double-edged sword, right? So we, Facebook was only for college students when we were, when we were first on Geffen, right? I mean, I've what? got two kids. What? No, Facebook, it wasn't. There was it no was. Facebook. Facebook was was before it went public. You had to have a .edu email address to have access to it. And and Geffen was jerry rigging it by bribing college students to be in its street teams and put stuff on Facebook page. Ah, <laughs> fucking hell, man! That's yeah. amazing. So, but even though you see pictures quite digital, like it was it was the cd era it wasn't it wasn't it was pre the start of the streaming era when we got going so we add as much malarkey as we could but now you can actually do your own stuff and you can do all the stuff that we were espousing but because everybody can do it it's like amazon print on demand marketplace it's all about marketing products ostensibly irrelevant it's it's who gets the product in front of the most eyes will get the success so it's a double-edged sword like in the old days you needed radio play and you needed the label and you needed the publisher and all that stuff now you can do it yourself but because everyone can do it yourself you're just one yeah in an orby in an ocean full of orbies like which yeah. one should i listen to today yeah so, you're still you're still relying on them streaming services exactly. pointing you in the right direction but they, they exactly. refuse to there's an algorithm our algorithm was the radio yeah Right, you'd listen to old John yeah. on the radio, and he'd say you should listen to Bolt Thrower, and everyone would go and listen to the Bolt Thrower thing. Right? Yeah. Now, now it's the algorithm, but the algorithm was the human being. Yeah, John, John Peel's the the re, uh, another one. Of, it's so funny that so many of these things. These are the reasons why I, I yeah. do what I do because that like there needs to be people out there pointing at that kind yeah. of stuff. Kurt, Kurt, can I ask a new a new metal question? Um, so I had mates that were on a label that were a subsidiary of sony right after just after the new metal cover became a thing right so alien ant farm had done smooth criminal and there was a bunch yeah, of yeah. that kind of shit going on and my friends were in a band and they had to cover britney spears's uh, you oh, drive me crazy yes. which means that if there's anyone out there listening from the uk you might be able to suss out who i'm talking about wait um, wait wait wait, wait, wait. yes 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 oh no what are they fucking called? Oh no, it's the, it's the female <laughs> band, right? Yep, yes, yep. They're, yes. They're still uh, my friends to this day. Me and their guitar player uh, have seen or had before I moved out here. Went to every Dixie Chicks show. Now the Chicks that they'd ever played in London. We used to get hammered together and go and see the Chicks. I'll let you think while I'm asking the question. Did they ever pitch that kind of thing at you? Did we, did, did the labels? Because you because those are the the like I can imagine like they'd be shitting themselves as they asked. But like, did you ever have anything like that land on your desk? Like those kind of the we, new metal things that were I happening. We just did covers that we liked. We yeah. did Big Black and Black yeah, Sabbath. I remember. And, yeah, uh, we just uh, we did uh, making plans for Nigel. We just did songs that we liked. We didn't really do I anything. I forgot all about that. that. Yeah, we didn't yeah. really do anything that they asked us to. I remember. That, Think, but there was a lot of shit then, right? I remember when we were doing the, when we were doing the video for Genius, people, you, you get what's called a treatment. It's not a facial. It's a, when you want to do a video, a director will send you a treatment and it outlines their idea of what the video should be. And, and this was in the era of facts, right? That's how advanced we were, the faxes. And I remember we, we got this, we got loads of treatments, but one treatment was like, JS will be frying a hamburger 
with a chef's hat on and his shirt off on an electric chair just after a guy's been killed on it and screaming. You know, because you used to get these MTV videos where like the dog's walking backwards and the, you know, and I remember yeah. it was like, that's the kind of, and the label's like, what do you think? And I was like, we're in the, I think we're in Geffen offices. And I said, can I borrow your pen? And I drew a massive erect cock and balls on the treatment. And I just faxed it back to the guy without any other cock. And I remember like the label people are like, oh my God, I work with this director. I'm like, yeah, you're welcome. So we would just do, you know. And that director grew up to be Steven Spielberg. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that I, I, I might get in trouble for this too. I remember having a conversation with Liam from Prodigy once. I think it was backstage at some show somewhere. And he goes, yeah, they wanted me to mix Madonna. I said, what did you say? And he said, uh, I told him I wanted a hundred grand. And I'm like, wow, do you ever get that through me? And he goes, no. And I said, well, why'd you ask for it? And he goes, I don't want to do the remix. But if I ask for a ridiculous amount and say, yes, I'll do it. And then I'll just give them something shit for the money. Perfect. So, so that kind of took me. I've always done that. I, I, I never got hundred grand either, but I've always done those type of things. I never say no, even if something shit. I just say, yeah, it's this. These are the ridiculous, these are the ridiculous conditions I'll need to do it. You know, like you got to fly me first class. There must be a copy of each newspaper of every city we pass over on the way and a bowl of brown. Everything. That's a good one. Yeah. That's a good one. You ridiculous made, shit. You, oh man, you made some poor interns lives really hell for sure with that one. <laughs> So, but I'm curious though, you left the nineties though with your, so I'm sure you walked away from pitch shifter with a couple million, right? Yeah, sure. You probably <laughs> I got it on the back of the couch right now. <laughs> <laughs> got a couple, you know, a couple cool million lying around. Um, well, okay. So we still don't have like the earache stuff on streaming, right? Ah, God bless earache. <laughs> I think, I think some of it's on streaming. I think some of it's on streaming. I kind of gave up. What's the beef? What how's that, how was that, how have we got here? Sorry if there's a story we, that I don't know. We but. we left we left Eric for Geffen, which I don't think Gig Dig ever got over. And so that's when he started. <laughs> now it's 2023. Yeah. yeah. And he's always, he's I, was always fifth, I was 15 when that fucking record some very came out. Not get nice things on JS yeah. and the press after the fact too. We've never I don't, an emotional we, man. <laughs> I don't think we've ever shit talked him in the press. I think we've always just yeah. been like, whatever. But I think Dig be uh, like block you. <laughs> Well, that was the most recent thing. That was they blocked hilarious. you on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> what a stink bomb! We all got to get our kicks somewhere, right? Twenty six years ago, man. Like fucking anyway. And we don't we don't follow Earache. It was it. You know, we all collectively do the social media, and people help yeah. us out. Right? And then there was one article that says it was a response to a post which you're tagged in, and I clicked the post, and it says you are unable to see this post. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like who's the problem i'm like eric i'm like really dude the pettiness I mean, yeah whatever terry That's... i was looking up your band that you were talking about earlier was sugar coma right yes indeed who was what was the other band that was like england's attempt at a kitty do you know what i'm talking about mm, called, like dissension or something tam, there, there was tampasm as well at that time it were good fun um, I can't think of anyone else God. at the time, but then uh, I can ba- I can barely remember what I had for lunch yesterday. Unless let's just, we'll just yeah. we'll just name bands till we figure yeah. it out. Apartment Twenty Six, <laughs> Sunna, <laughs> Silence. <laughs> so you, JS, you spoke about Prodigy. Did you have a good relationship with them? Because I mean, like through through Jim, we didn't have like a, a day to day relationship with them, but you know, Liam would show up in his McLaren F one every now and again. No shit. <laughs> so. <laughs> and you'd be like, yeah, sure, how you doing? They were good lads. They weren't, yeah. You know, I think they got the same 
kind of treatment i mean obviously they took off and went crazy but in the early days you got the same kind of treatment as us for people weren't really understanding what they were doing and they would get a lot of crap i mean we get stuff thrown at us at festival shows you know we play the metal festival shows and people just freaking hurl stuff at us because they just didn't get it <laughs> but i've seen i've seen other bands do that we played the big day out not the english version that the it's a completely different festival that's in australia What's yeah brisbane yeah. We played and we went down great. And then Public Enemy played and they got bottled off the stage by the crowd. So it doesn't matter how big you are, what band you are. It's, are you, in, you know, we've played places in Arizona where people have stood at the front and gone, fuck you, Pitch Shifter, and Zeke howled all the way through and then intimidated us with wow. their gun rack trucks afterwards. So Shit. it's not always relative to the music. Sometimes it's the message. Sometimes people just want to come and, you know, give you a hard time. Yeah. The price to pay for having something to say and being like resolute in it, I think. Yeah, we don't. I was just giving the money back. I just, hey, how much did you pay to get in here, Adolf? And they're like, 20 bucks. I'm like, here's 20 bucks. There you go. Now, fuck off. We've got Geffen money. I can pay you whatever. I can yeah. pay you whatever. <laughs> <laughs> they gave us $100,000. We don't even know why. Here, take it. We'll never pay that back. It's the 90s. Yes. So here's the here's the conclusion of my little personal drama over here. Okay, Terry, the band is called Defenstration. Oh, Defenstration, yeah, Jen. They played, yeah, they played on Tattoo the Earth with fucking Slayer, Pantera, and Cradle of Filth. But yeah, it was, and that's it, who, it, and that's who I got mixed up with Sugar Coma. And can you blame yeah. me? But they're I knew from, they had from an, Birmingham. That like, yeah, they had an album called One Inch God, and I was trying to figure out. So I was just been sitting here, and I've been going <laughs> Four Inch God. No, five inch god. <laughs> one point five inch god. It's inch god. <laughs> Fuck. It's called one inch god. You got but it. I was way over. No, I was way over it. But um, I haven't. I, I haven't thought about. I haven't heard that name in far too long. Big up Jen and everyone in Defenestration. If you're out there, we can just keep naming bands. Raging Speedhorn. Uh, in love me, speed on number I'm one on sun. Shout out Liverpool. Played with Speedhorn, <laughs> played within me, played with One Minute Silence, played with a billion, billion bands over there. With it, you know. Can I can I ask something about something that's happened quite recently? Because um, I think it was there was a real. If I think about Pitch Shifter and I think about like the moment, I, I, I'd still want to come back to Reading a little bit later on. But like you did two nights at the Astoria that were sold out, yeah. and it really felt it felt like a bit like a moment. And when I see things like um, baby metal happening in recent years, and I remember you brought out the satanic cheerleaders and things like that, and I, I wore my, I, honestly, mate, I wore my fuck all boy bands t-shirt until it fell apart, Clayton. Literally, it was fucking grey by the time that I got rid of it. But, like, it felt like this, this is a really horrible thing to ask the artists themselves. But did you ever, like, do you watch things that have happened in future years and gone we were kind of ahead of our time and i know that's a really shitty thing to ask an artist because you're just doing right there's not that level of thought in it you're just creating something original but when i watch shit like that i'm like I, like i can't help it like when i was there then and it was such a like fuck yeah like it, it like like taking a baseball bat to all the right things but now it's like part of the landscape like do you have opinions on those kind of things and those kind of moments i mean i don't really listen to our music that'll be kind of creepy come on see yeah, yeah, uncle course, john's yeah. knee and we'll listen to me yeah you know, when if someone will send me something or you get a google notification that blah blahs and i'll look at me yeah we i remember doing that i mean we did a crop circle speaking of baseball bats used to baseball bat televisions 
Mm. We used to have projectors behind us showing mad stuff. I once did a piano solo with a sledgehammer at one of the shows and then chucked chunks of the piano out to the crowd. They're like, give me the piano. I'm like, you want it? You can give me it. <laughs> yeah, the satanic cheerleaders, that's just, I think that was after the Poland thing and just really wanted to piss everybody off. So we had these cheerleaders and they all had pentagrams and they were doing a dance to the pitch. Then we had a choir once sing like Please Sarah Genius, like an a cappella version, which all the metalheads were just yeah. like, what are yeah. you doing? So we always just try to experiment. I think in the in the moment you just experiment. I don't. I'm personally not an accomplished enough musician to to be like Mozart, where I say, "Okay, I hear the entire thing in my head, and now mm. I'm going to commit that to to audio." Yeah. You start off with a drum loop, a riff. It progresses. It just kind of comes out. So I think a lot of musicians are creative, and I find I'm actually pretty good graphic design and I paint and do other things. So I think a lot of musicians are creative period it doesn't have to be in music there might be good writers there might be good artists visual whatever so i just find it just comes out the way it comes out but yeah you know i i it it does make me chuckle when people are like there's this amazing band and they you know they're using technology with, with guitars i'm like wow but i remember somebody played me lincoln park i thought oh shit Remember mm. the first time someone played me Linkin Park? I'm like, it sounds like pop music. Why are they singing so nicely? I hate it. This will never be big. J.S. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Clayton said it first, people. Linkin Park is I, never yeah. going to take off. Brian, it was Brian. It was Brian Hurrah from Tuna, Tura Satana. He played it to yeah. me in the back of a. We were in the back of a car in L.A. and he goes, "This is going to be massive." And he pressed play, and I'm like, "That just sounds terrible to me, Brian. It's never yeah. going to be big." But then, you know, here's another one. I think I think Eric passed on Nirvana, right? Yeah, one did point you? Yeah. That's never going to be story. Yeah. People are terrible. Well, I'd be Blah. angry about everything forever it's... if I did that. Yeah. <laughs> they're, like, they're, like, they're like, Nirvana's never going to happen, but this pitch shifter band. Whoa. Yeah. Yes. They're, they're changing everything. Great words. It's, it's funny. I was at I was at Linkin Park's first ever London show, right? I was I was a fanzine writer at the time and was invited to their first show. The album was released in America, but hadn't been released in the UK yet. And Nelly had just happened in hip hop, and I really like hip hop. And like the second you heard country grammar, you were like, oh. Like this is gonna popify everything, and I I remember seeing Linkin Park in, with three hundred other people before Hybrid Theory was out in the UK as a fanzine writer, and just went, "This is this is gonna change everything." It's funny, like if I can be a bit put myself on a like forwards. The same thing happened when I was inside the business when Twenty One Pilots happened, and I went, "No, no, 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 no." <laughs> No, no, burn it, kill it with fire, and they went on to be a generation-defining act as well. So well, we we see. I don't we, know if they would. I wouldn't seen, call them a generation-defining act. Well, they're, 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 they're fucking. I assure, I assure you, they're bank manager will. So mm -hmm. like, <laughs> like I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you, Clayton. I, I know what those moments are like. I've got two comments. One, I saw Nirvana. On first, it was Nirvana Mudhoney Sonic Youth at Leicester Polytechnic in 1847. And I thought Nirvana was terrible. <laughs> I was like, hell. they just came on, they were drunk and they were smoking. It was just terrible. They're like completely yeah. empty. I was like, I don't get it. It's just, you know, noise guitar. And then, you know, they went on to dominate the Quack. universe. Linkin Park come up in a, in a ton of our episodes and always around the same point, which is like, I, I, I guess you could break new metal down or you could break rock music down into before and after them. But it is a funny, 
it is a funny thing to bring pitch shifter into that discussion because when you think of what they did which was to take all of the popular rock music that came before them and kind of into these like perfect pop music cubes and pitch shifter would have been in that reach because they took the programming and the drum machines and the loops and spit it out as pop music that you could you know take the top of pops for three weeks or whatever and yeah that is but that is what they but they did and you were wrong so i don't know but yeah. i don't know but i think you could you could say you might not be able and i'm not saying i'm not one of those people like, oh we shaped everything but it's like you were a bit ahead of the time and you maybe wouldn't have had people maybe not have understood stuff like linkin park without bands like pitch shifted or we're looking way ahead to now like there's a lot of punk bands that fuse like dance and hip-hop music together with punk like a horror or death tour and i yeah. definitely hear influence from pitch shifter on that and atari teenage riot i remember they were coming oh, yeah. around our area where they were just like but they were like everything on distortion like ah, right we were a bit we tried to be a bit more tuneful than them purposefully because that's what we enjoy but well, the heaviest as... show i've ever seen them them opening for nine inch nails Never yeah. again, man. Just pure white noise. <laughs> Def, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Week after. <laughs> now, this isn't just the Kirk and Terry show. We're having fun, though. But there's a room full of other guys in here. Guys, fellas, John, Cran, Z. Yes. Well, you guys have, I do have a question. I do have a question. Go for it. For, uh, for Clyde. Uh, so, you know, we've been talking. Uh, punk has come up a lot. You brought up Nick Blinko. And, uh, like, you know, there's this general fuck off sort of attitude that Pitch Shifter has always had. But there's also, a, like you brought up, like being tuneful, which kind of brings a, about a little bit of a duality within Pitch Shifter. So I was wondering, are there these two halves to Pitch Shifter that you found over the years? Uh, do you find that it kind of shifts in one direction to another, like between more punk and more pop? Uh, how does Pitch Shifter kind of fit into that that two halves? So the early days was a lot more guitar-driven, right? That's the Johnny mm -hmm. Carter, Stu Tulin era. And then uh, Mark was like, I don't want to sing anymore. I don't like it. You do it. Because I was just doing backing vocals and he was like, you're better at it than me. I hate it. I don't like people looking at me. I want to play bass. You do it. So then I took on that mantle. And then after a while, I was just like, I can't do the grunty, I am a scary monster from the hill stuff anymore. Because you can only ever get to this point. You can't branch out. Because mm. if the music's in drop D or drop B or drop F, as it is now, you're always like, rrr, rrr, and you can't reach any point. So I'm the proponent of saying, let's on the infotainment album like let's sneak a tiny bit of melody in and see if the world ends right and so it's the infotainment album's kind of a cross of the two it's respected johnny and Stu, but then kind of moving towards dot com and then when the wheels didn't fall off and the world didn't end on infotainment and then on dot com was like let's just keep going and that's where you get a lot more of the melodic stuff so it was kind of a old way of thinking versus new way of thinking which ultimately, you know, left to Johnny leaving the bank. So like, ah, I'm not sure I want to do that kind of stuff. So it was kind of like a transition of personnel. All bands become a ship of Theseus, right? How many, how many planks need to be replaced before it's a new ship? But my brother and I have kind of always been the mainstays. Mm. I think Pitch Shifter will never stop liking heavy guitars because they sound good, right? I don't think we'd just go, oh, yeah, well, it's just a synth album with me barking over it like a nutter and to make it sound metal so there'll always be heavy guitars and the, they'll always be drop tuned and they'll always sound meaty but it's whatever's in the background uh, we kind of did an unfinished there's a demo of an unfinished album the seventh son of the seventh son the seventh unfinished album which was leaning more guitar -y. but i think that's just because we didn't get a chance to mangle up with the samples yet is there any interest in another pitch shifter record I think fans say that they want it, but I don't think they want it. 
<laughs> right? People say, oh, makes you say that. I think, well, you know, it's like Motorhead. People want them to be immortalized the way they are. If Lemmy was still alive, I could tell you my Lemmy story in a bit, but if Lemmy was still alive and he said, oh, well, we've progressed, there's now some synths in it. Everyone would be like, <laughs> what has happened? So people don't want things to change. Why does Starbucks exist? If you take America, you know, 3,000 miles wide, you can order the same thing in any Starbucks and it tastes exactly the same. You don't have to think about it. People fear change. They don't yeah. want change. They say they do, but they actually don't. So I think I'll, there's a few fans are like, oh, new music, new music, new music. But I think it's a giant time suck at my age. When you're, when you're 95 like me <laughs> and you've got kids <laughs> and, their, and their wife and their, I their life, I relate. The, the amount of energy you have to do to make a record is a lot of energy, right? And then... Mm. And then people go, oh, it's not as good as your old stuff. <laughs> it's like, well, <laughs> it can never be. Like, we can't pretend to be 18 again and, and write Genius Part 2, right? Everybody moves on. You write about what you know, your life experience has changed. So I think I think a certain number of fans would accept anything from us. But I think the bulk from the Test Drive 5 era just be like, I don't get it. Because you wouldn't that want has- to. You wouldn't want to write that. You wouldn't want to just keep. You wouldn't want to, like, redo the greatest hits. You'd, like, want if to it was, If it was fun. When you get to my age, or I, I don't have to, you know, when you're in the young band, they go, there's no pay and you're going to have to suck shit through a straw for five hours and wade through this lake of fire while men jab you in the ribs with these rusty spears. You don't get paid, but it's be exposure. It'll be great. And then when you get to my age, you're like, fuck all of that. Will it be any fun? Yeah. It, it's money. I get my money from doing other things in life, not pitch shifter. So it's not like, oh, I got to write some stuff that I think thousands of people will be interested in so I can make money. The sole question to me now is, will it be any fun? Right? We just agreed to do 2000 trees because I said the, the people that put it on say, will you do it? And I thought, you know what? I can take the kids over to see grandma, grandpa. The band can hang out and create chaos and all the stupid stuff that we do with each other. And it'll just be fun. So I said, okay, we'll do it. That'll go so, mad for you, Clayton. Well, that's my, that's the, the thing. Is, will, it, will it be any fun? Right. And that's the question of would doing a new album be any fun? All the work and everybody, literally every member of the band lives in a different city and or continent. So yeah. it's like, <laughs> I had a dream. This is in this is in the book too. I had a dream once where I, all the band quit in my dream. It's kind of like one of those being naked before you go on stage dreams. All the band quit <laughs> in my dream. And I, and I said to the, I said to the sound man, can you just play the stems of all them playing like karaoke and I'll sing along? And he goes, yeah. And I did the entire show in my dream like that. And then the next day I said to the band, if I drop my vocal out, because we wear in-ears, because everything's a click right, if I drop my vocal out, I could have the CD of you guys playing in my ears live. And no matter how fucking terrible you were, I would literally be having <laughs> the best gig every single night. Because it'd be like listening yeah. to this perfect performance of the CD with me singing on top. And they're all like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> it's the, the voice era of Fit Shifter. <laughs> Cran, you're a fan, right? What do you got? You got anything you want to ask? Uh, you know, I did, but honestly, B's covered pretty much everything I wanted to know about. And oh, yeah. Thank so you for that. It sounded, this is not the B's show, obviously, but watching you fan out the way you have has been just incredible. And it is wanted, really nice. Can I, can, I, refreshing the best can, I, can I do can I do one more? Yes, absolutely. Like, this is, this is like, um, I feel like this is quite a big question. It does go back to that Reading performance, but I remember when you released and the United Kingdom and how it made me feel like I was a teenager. Like you're not, you're not as politically aware at that point in time. There isn't social media making you aware of all of the issues that there are. 
And I remember you coming out at the Reading Festival and you all had like shirt and trousers and ties on, but you had dollar signs spray painted on the back of your shirts when you came out. And it felt like really like a like a big moment, not only for the band in terms of the size and the exposure of what was going on, but it was like this message was was like bigger than the sum of its parts. And now we're this far down the line and like we're both people that don't live in the, the UK anymore, right? But I moved here like a couple of months after Brexit happened. And I remember there is a manager of a band in the UK that I really love the fuck out of. Um, his band are actually, the, that he manages, are probably the closest thing that I can think of to Pitch Shifter. And he said he said something on his Facebook that where he was like, well, there it is then. They do live amongst us and we don't know it. Like they're all on the buses next to you, all the people that have those kind of thoughts that you were calling out at that point in time. Um, as someone that like, that like now lives for the fun of it, what do you make of there not being as many artists being willing enough to go out and say the things that you were on? Because you had it all to lose, right? You were on major labels and all the rest of it, but the, the message was the point. The art was the point. Like, do, do you feel do you feel like the landscape is too scary for bands to do that now? You'll just get shouted down or botted to death or whatever. What's it? What do you like? What would you imagine it's like for an artist trying to make that kind of statement in twenty twenty three? You have to determine what you're doing it for. If you're doing it for the money, you're always going to be chasing what's popular. We just did it for the art, right? So that's why we've always been able to just really do what we want and get in trouble and don't really care. I think it's yeah. I've, it's difficult now. There was no being cancelled because there was no social media. Remember, mm. Facebook was only available to college students, right? So I think it would be challenging, perhaps more challenging for people. But again, it's there's so much disinformation now that it's difficult to pick any one channel. You you couldn't go down the rabbit hole when we were playing, right? Because you only had the three channels of, of the British Broadcasting Corporation and ITV1 yeah. and ITV2. You couldn't... There was no algorithm. Like if you're only looking at right wing nonsense on YouTube shorts, the algorithm is going to realize that's what you want. It's going to give you more and more and more of it. So you go straight down the rabbit hole. You don't see any other perspectives. Whereas when we were doing our thing, there were common points of people to talk about because you did watch the news on BBC because you couldn't get it from rightwingmaniac.com. And so there were common cultural touch points and people would listen to John Peel. And at least you had something in common. Now you can spend your entire life in the rabbit hole of your bubble based on your search terms. If you and I pulled up our laptops yeah, now you're right. and we both searched the same term in Google, we would get different results even if we were using the same IP address based on what we'd individually searched. So if I typed in something, you might yeah. get the right-wing version and i get the extreme left-wing version based on our prior search results. None of that happened. Right. Yeah. So now people kind of exist in their own bubbles, but you just have to determine what you want to do. Like pitch shifter was never for the money. So that's what we just did what we wanted. If we would have played by the rules and done everything the manager said, mm. we probably could have been bigger and probably could have been still, you know, touring and blah, blah, blah. But that's not what we wanted. We wanted to kind of do it the way that we did it. And we don't have regrets based on that. Well, what are you up to? What are you up to now, though? I'm just doing drugs. Uh, <laughs> smashing up everything I come into contact with, worshipping Satan. Did, did, you know. 
deciphering what you just said, like, do you feel like you'd have just ended up in an echo chamber then? Like you'd have found people like me and people that think like like we do. And but at that yeah. point in time, you were putting like it's confrontational because whether you want to hear it or not, here it is. Like, exactly. do you feel like even if you have something to say, you just end up shouting into an echo chamber now? So I'd yeah. never even thought of it like that, but it makes me want to fucking smash my computer well, as, we're, as we're having this discussion. Burn no my one, phone. No one who's got an extreme right-wing methodology is going to find this podcast because all of the links and all of the terms related to this podcast don't say white power and Donald Trump or anything else, right? So yeah, yeah. you aren't going to get to expose those people to different ways of thinking so well that's this the problem episode the will outbreak. though this episode will now because <laughs> i just said it, yeah. said it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we've had our we've had our time on the on the fringe but i remember i remember johnny carter calling me once and he's like there's this there's an echelon system in the u.s and if you say certain words you immediately start getting tracked i'm like like what words john and he goes uh terrorist mig mig 15 jet and he's still these words and then we'd always start every conversation from every hotel with those words i like to imagine some poor schmuck on a listening thing just hearing like oh here it is here it is you know terrorism and then terrorism mig jet pitch shifter yeah and then we just talking shit about music for hours and then we're actually on the mig 15 jet podcast so Exactly, <laughs> <laughs> but that was the point, right? And that's why, although it was super uncomfortable for us as the band, being on all those death metal shows and all those other shows where we really didn't fit in, we did actually get the opportunity to expose people to even simple things like chucking out the propaganda fly. In World War, they used yeah. to they used to drive by, fly by planes and drop propaganda flies. The war is over; yeah. you've lost. To do all these things. So we got that idea, and we chuck them out live, the little square pieces of paper. Yeah. So even even if people didn't understand the music, if they just went to one of our shows and they got one of those things that just said shopping is not creating, yeah, it was it was impactful like, though. Wait, what? So that might be challenging to happen now, and the the algorithm doesn't allow yeah. you to be exposed to different people. You right? still have any of those? Uh, you can find them online. We'll probably do. We might. We'll probably do them again. People kind of expect that. We we set a trap for ourselves. Right? You do these things, and then people. You ever do a show with that, and people are like, no propaganda flyers. How dare you? So we have to. We have to do it. But yeah, we smash a piano. I have a satanic choir. Yeah, it's a lot of work. You got to keep exactly a lot of work innovating your mischief. I feel like Ramstein. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad though. So it does. I would say that an hour into this would be a weird time to reveal, but it sounds like referring to pitch shifter as new metal are not fighting words. I I don't know. You guys can have your own opinion. But for me, I think there's a number of genres that we touch upon. I think that's what makes you new metal, though, because it's a fusion genre. You oh. can fuse whatever the fuck yeah. you want together. If you got isn't some that, heaviness isn't, and some balance, there called, are. Isn't being called new metal better than Rocktronica, though? They're all posthumous titles for me, right? I mean, Pitch Shift is still going randomly. We haven't played a show for five years, but we're going to play one again. We, st we, we just... Our sound guy, Shirt, who died, God bless his soul, he gave me a flash drive in 1998 after we'd finished headlining in Tokyo, and he goes, keep that in your pocket. And I shoved it in a box, and I didn't think about it, and I opened it all these years later, and it was a perfectly recorded live album of of that show, which we put out on green vinyl through Kickstarter. So oh, you that's could... So cool. That's cool. Right? Awesome. So, I don't know. We're We're a bit of everything, I think. You make of it what you will, right? I don't want to say music is art and you can determine what it is. I know where we come from, punk, metal. I mean, there's as much the first Nas album as there is Ram Trilogy, drum and bass, as there is 
rudimentary penile or subhumans as there is helmet or Celtic frost guitars and pitch shifter as there is anything else. There's such a just a big it, I've been doing mixtapes recently on cassette because that's what the trendy kids of the day want. And uh I I worked with Mark, my brother, and we figured out all the music that we were listening to on the road while we were doing it. And it it's like Eisenvata, Celtic Frost, but then it's also Nas, DJ Shadow, Dead Kennedys. And it's such a mental mix of stuff. And I think all that stuff gets jammed into the pitch shift. And we weren't afraid to say, okay, let's put it in. But this is trip up. I know we just shove it in, see what happens. There's like double <laughs> but that's, bass but that's, in there. But that that is I think that is what new metal is, is is taking all of those ideas and being like fucking put them in there with loud guitars. And we'll, we'll, and we'll always be metal. You can't you couldn't say we're fully punk because we'll always be metal because the guitars mm. are metal, right? Yeah. The bass guitar. Completely. The bass guitar is an Ibanez SDGR 800 in black with active EMG pickups going through a rap pedal to an Ampeg stack, 8 by 10 That's as metal as you get, right? And then the guitar is, is, is a Marshall 1969 Plexi reissue on one side and a Mesa Boogie, Mesa Boogie triple wreck on the other side, again, going through Ibanez because they're in any company stupid <laughs> enough to give us guitars with active pickups. And going to, we used to use the Boss MT2 Metal Zone was the was the pedal of choice, but then we progressed with other stuff. So the guitars are as metal as you can possibly get, and no one was allowed to have any other color but black until Jim came along. He's like, I've got this pink guitar. Like, no, you don't. You've got a black. Guitar. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, uh, I definitely have no, enough. I definitely have enough of your your voice that when I'm cutting this up for the preview, it can just be like pitch shifter is new metal terrace white power big jet pantera. It'll be <laughs> we'll really get the algorithm. We'll get the algorithm going at that point. Yeah. You don't you don't need that anymore. You can just say feed, that. You can just feed my now you've got enough of me saying stuff. You can just upload it to that AI thing and yeah, it'll, we'll do another episode voice, yeah. without you after this. Yeah. I mean fuck we're gonna do pitch shifter album without you at that rate. <laughs> well, I used I used we did an experiment recently where we got chat GPT to write some pitch shifter lyrics and they were terrible. <laughs> right. Actually, <laughs> you do actually need the human being to, to do the lyric part, right? Even if you've got the bot to do the rest of it, they were just, they were so cheesy. It was appalling. Wolf, I know you're all, I know you're, you're literally working, but did you have anything to ask before we wrap this? Yeah, I was uh, super curious about just going back to our discussion about the internet one of the thing that one of the things that's driven the new metal renaissance is the ease of access to older music, especially on streaming services like Spotify, because the older pitch shifter material like Desensitized and Industrial isn't on Spotify. How has that affected your legacy? It's it's one of the arguments and challenges that we've had with former labels who've been on a million labels because again you couldn't really do it yourself in the old days, and um, you know we just said to them. We won't make any money out of it. Just put it up, right? I've got two kids. I want them to be able to say, "Ah, oh, my dad did that. So we've kind of intentionally not gone toe-to-toe with the labels. We're nearing the point where that might happen. I feel like I got to <laughs> jump in here. I, I don't know how this, this finally just clicked in my brain, but I was like, wait a minute. I was listening to Industrial on Apple Music before we hopped on. So they are on streaming. Industrial is on Peaceville. Industrial submit desensitized yeah. and infotainment. I'm seeing all they are on recently. They've just been on recently. They may not stay on. You have to keep oh them. thank god. Oh, did you go? Did you? I thought I read something about that. Did you like go behind their back and just submit them yourself? <laughs> we went behind their back and submitted them all, and then they pulled them all off. Oh, well, they're back. Angry. 
They're yeah. back. So if you're listening, they're back for now. But you know, we just got blocked from Eric, so I wouldn't hold your breath on those ones. The, the, the infotainment will, because Peaceville, I can say to you, after being on a number of labels, Peaceville is the most honourable label that I've had the pleasure of dealing with for three decades. They had a fifty. I love Andy. R.I.P. Right? They had a fifty-fifty split profit deal, and they've honoured it and they've paid it. And they came to us and said, "We want to re-release industrial on vinyl." Would you be prepared to be involved? Give us some liner notes, do all of that stuff, right? So they've been really an honor and a pleasure to deal with. So that's why Industrial's up there. We worked with Hassle Records, which is a subsidiary of full-time records recently to get the re-release of the dot-com album on vinyl. And they were a great pleasure to work with. It was like pulling freaking teeth to get Universal to allow that to happen. There, so there are a couple of labels that have just been great. We worked with Ripcord Records, which is this tiny little punk label from Glasgow. And they were like, do you want to put out a cassette of, of uh, Pitch Shifters demo? I was like, yeah, let's do it. So we did that recently. And that was awesome. Again, just want to do stuff that's fun. And I only want to work with people that are fun to work with. But they are streaming right now, enjoying while they're there. And if they do ever go off streaming, just rip them and put them on BitTorrent and share the link and get everyone to do it. I didn't say that. And I have no part of that. There is something so heartwarming about in 2023, Pitch Shifter are still fucking Pitch Shifter when you hear <laughs> yeah. that. Like, it's it's always yeah. going to be the same way. I, I, I love that, man. And that's why you're a punk band and maybe not a new metal band. Sorry, Kirk, but you got that punk spirit. So though. I love being the one that edits these because you didn't say that. <laughs> yeah. Free no, no, samples, motherfucker gone. Um, <laughs> I would like to thank our guest, J.S. Clayton, so much for making the time to do this. It was an honor beyond words to actually be able to talk to you about this and get that story down. And uh, Terry, I'd like to thank you, too, for making it happen despite your grievous illness. You know, we're all praying for your recovery, man. I feel like shit. <laughs> you don't sound like you. You don't sound like you feel like shit. I can't believe you tried to get an out for this. Yeah, that's because after this, I'm just gonna go. You still look. Out. You still look like a hundred bucks, buddy. Don't worry about it. Thank you, sir. <laughs> I don't think that's just, the thing. I don't, okay. I don't ever. I don't ever mean to be too fawning because it's not my style at all. But thank you for writing, please, sir. I could have. I've done my job for twenty years, and I've been lucky enough to do some really fucking cool things. Um, but I always felt like I could shut up and take the money easily. Like if I just wanted to interview bands and play the game, my career would have looked very differently, I think. But like ultimately, if you're not fighting for the right things, you shouldn't be on a microphone. So thanks, mate. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you. This is the first podcast I've done. I get a million offers and this is the first one I decided to do. So, oh my God. Thank you so much. Let's go. New Metal wins again. I am Holiday <laughs> Kirk with the New Metal Agenda. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Make sure to be listening to this music at all times, especially Pitch Shift to Rock On. Peace. Have a great day.